Super Talk Mississippi media production. Specializing in Ford, Nissan, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Rams. CorinthAutoGroup.com and FordOfCorinth.com, where cars and happy drivers meet. Visit us now in person or online with the experience you deserve. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Kicking off a brand new week here, cruising on through September here. Rhino, howdy, howdy. Well, we had some college football over the weekend. Some folks are, if you can call it that. Folks are relatively happy. Some are not. Uh, I thought it was a little surprising what happened up in Starkville. Didn't expect that. Yeah, I expected a little bit more, but then again, it is the introduction of an entirely new offense in the third week, really the first big test. And, uh, yeah, did not look like a good time for the offense. The defense had more going for it but not by much yeah so you just wonder if this new style of offense is uh, is really not suit the talent that uh, was recruited in there by coach mike leach uh, it seems that way but they were talking a little bit about it during the game where you have will rogers playing in the air raid yeah that he's known pretty much his entire footballing career and the play calling where you'll have an air raid play that consists of a play call with a word and a number and that tells everybody on the line everybody on the field what they need to know what their assignments are what their responsibilities are versus the new pro style that barbe's brought in where you could have a string of words nine or ten long and about three or four different numbers attached so it, it's more complicated. It's a yeah. more complex system. There's more There's more on the shoulders of the quarterback. And it doesn't seem like Will Rogers is picking it up as quickly as he would like, even though he says he's studying it like homework. Yeah. It uh, He seemed to just be more comfortable with the uh, the older system, the air raid system, and and I mean, it's what he's, it's always yeah. known, pretty much flourished in that system. So we'll see if there'll be any adjustments to the scheme moving forward. I did head up to Oxford for the game versus the visiting Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech. They turned out to be a better team than was projected, in my view. 
They were pretty good, honestly. Pretty salty squad. You really can't tell, right? But the big test, just as I guess it's fair to say Mississippi State endured their more valid test this past weekend versus SEC foe LSU. The Rebels travel to Tuscaloosa this coming Saturday take on Nick Saban's Crimson Tide. Nick doesn't look very happy. Well, it's because they can't figure out who they want to play quarterback. That is true. And it doesn't seem like they have any really good options. That is true. It uh, it does. It was a bit of a shock, was it not, when a starting quarterback change was announced, just, um, I guess, publicly announced. I'm sure it was known internally. But it seemed like it was leading up to game time before we really knew. But uh, Coach Saban, not known as a person who smiles a lot during football games, he just looks uh, rather frustrated with the performance of his squad. The uh, the last I checked, the line has um, the Rebels plus seven and a half. Is that the latest? Crimson Tide minus seven and a half. That's pretty much standard home field advantage line when you feel like the odds makers feel like the teams are pretty close. They'll they'll give an advantage to the home uh, home field competitor. Yeah, in college. Yeah, in, that's right. In college, in the pros, it's usually a field goal. That's that's right. But uh, it looks uh, like it's moved. A point. It's six and a half point favorites. Now. Okay. All right. With the over under set at fifty five points. Fifty five. That sounds about right. Honestly, I would say. But that'll be a big one. And of course, you know how that works. If it, if the Rebels go over there and lose, it's just okay. It's just another year. And if they win, there'll be a lot of enthusiasm, shall we say? <laughs> a lot of folks, including me, will be. Uh, pretty pleased with that. Flat out insufferable. Yeah, exactly. And then the next week, I believe it's the next week, the Tigers of LSU travel to Oxford to take on the Rebels at Vaught Hemingway Stadium. So, little sports to get us cranking up this week because it's college football. Lots of other stuff happening on the political front as well. So, I got to share something if it's okay. During this segment, you know we had the we had the show broadcast remotely from two Mississippi museums for the Empower Mississippi Unleash Mississippi third annual Unleash Mississippi event, and I, I've disclosed before on the program that I have been honored to serve as the chairman of the board of Empower Mississippi since inception of the organization in 2014. Three major policy advocacy areas for Empower, education choice, common sense justice reform, and the other category we label as work, which is really just supply-side economic policy that we advocate for. Lower taxes, less regulation in particular. So I received a letter in the mail sent to the Empower Mississippi office addressed to me 
as the chairman. I'll read it before we go to break here. Dear Mr. Gibbert, why does conservatism so often include lack of racial diversity? At a bedrock level, are they incompatible? If so, why so? I wonder what an honest answer would be. When I view the Empower Mississippi website, all but one of the photos of team members, contributing fellows, and board members appear to be of European Americans, 24 white people and one African American. Empower Mississippi appears to be a 96% white-led organization. That's what you preside over. The census tells us that Mississippi is populated by 38% African Americans. Occasionally, I listen to you on Super Talk Radio. While I share some of your views, I still listen. You appear to be a reasonably intelligent person. That's just an opinion, of course. I struggle to grasp why an organization such as Empower Mississippi does not appear to embrace diversity. It's never too late to make a change. Each day the Lord wakes us up and we are provided with yet another opportunity to do His work, to be conduits for His will. We are so very fortunate. Thank you kindly for your time. This individual also included their address. I won't share it. I won't share their name. I could. I mean, there's certainly, if you're willing to put your name and address in a letter you send to the chair of a board uh, of the organization to which you've sent it, then as far as I'm concerned, that's fair game. But I'm not going to do that. But this person resides in Jackson, in the city of Jackson. First, I guess I'm glad to know, Rhino, that according to this person, I'm reasonably intelligent. But it's just an opinion. Maybe I'm not. (laughs) You know, what first strikes me about this is nothing about the work of the organization, the goals of the organization, the achievements, the vision, and what we hope is even a better future based on the organization's positions and its advocacy efforts. Nothing about that. Nothing. Why does everything have to be about race? Why does everything have to be about race? It's a serious question. It really only is to those that are racist. It makes me wonder. I mean, so... Even if they wordsmith it or or rationalize away their own racism through stupidity... It's still racism. If the first thing you notice is the melanin content of the people on the website, you're a racist. I got to tell you that uh, I think I'm with you on that. Dr. Jennifer Bryan, Mississippi State Medical Association Board of Trustees President-elect, is going to come on the program at 11.05 discussing health care in Mississippi, give us an update on the COVID wave. But more importantly, we're going to talk about how artificial intelligence is being used to create new drugs. Stay with us. We're coming right back in the Element Wealth Studio. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
back in the Element Well studio. So, you know, I struggled with this final statement in this letter, which I think anytime you start injecting sort of religion and faith into something like this, I, I just feel like it's borderline blasphemous, honestly, and that it's a bit, it's abusive. Like, I put a guilt trip on you by injecting some statement, almost sort of um, subvertly, subtly suggesting that, well, you're just not, you're not conducting your life in accordance with Christian principles. I'm saying Christian here because specifically cited Lord, which I think is generally assumed to be Jesus Christ, which means Christian. So it's like, well, you're not really, you're not walking in the light of God. You're not really conducting your life in accordance with Christian principles because your board's not diverse has nothing to do with the work the organization does and the value it creates for society. So it's no secret that this organization was instrumental in getting legislation passed that enabled the creation of charter schools, which are public schools. Unfortunately, we only have 11 in the state of Mississippi. We thought we'd have triple that by this point. The vast majority of those exist in the city of Jackson. Now, I don't know what the demographics are in the city of Jackson, but I, I hesitate to even guess at that. But I, but I will. Maybe 80% black, something like that. I haven't looked at that in a while. It's just a guess. City of Jackson. Well, the charter schools in the city of Jackson, which gets its students from people, Children, families, who reside in the city of Jackson. It's virtually all black. And that's fine. That's the goal. The goal is to give an option to students, an option from being forced to attend the public school designated for their address, their district. And there's a process for one to apply for admission to a charter school. There's a a fairly comprehensive process for that. But, you know, Rhino, every year when we have School Choice Day at the Capitol, I've attended virtually all of them. I have photos of it. And children and parents who have enjoyed choice options in Mississippi. We have education savings accounts for dyslexia for special needs, and then we also have the charter schools. But parents and children alike and teachers and administrators from the charter schools will come. It's beautiful. And they assemble on the Capitol steps, the south side of the Capitol. And they also move into the rotunda. And we'll have legislators who support school choice address the crowd. We'll have parents Well, when you look across 
the uh, the group in attendance there. I've stood on the on the top of the the landing on the on the steps of the state capitol, looking down, you know, on the big wide sidewalk leading up to it, the south side. I'd argue that it's and, it, and it's great to me. That I, I'm just trying to make a point that this person seems to be missing. Right now, it's 99 percent African American. Just is. 97, because it's kids and, and their parents from Jackson, which is predominantly black. Did you look that up? It's it's pretty high, right? What's it say? Yeah, black or African-American, non-Hispanic uh, is 82.2% of the population of Jackson. Okay. So that's, that's fine. That adds up. So naturally, then the charter schools, their, their student census is going to align with that for the most part. I'd say it's much greater just looking out among the crowd. And I've literally had mothers of these students approach me, and I try to stay in the background. It's not my deal. I chair the board, but it's not my deal. I don't speak. I just stay in the background. I just attend for support. But they'll find out. And I've had mothers approach me and hug me, crying, tears of joy, because they have this option. Thank you for what you do. Man, that's what it's all about. That doesn't seem to even enter into the mind of this person who sent me the letter. And look, I'm not mad at them. Don't get me wrong. They're free to send me letters and offer their opinion. I respect and appreciate that. I just think, just as a general comment about society, they were so focused on that aspect and not on, gosh, does it really matter what the composition of the board or the staff is? If they're producing value and doing good work, why do we care? And that's not to say... Because racists are ignorant people. Man. Well, the reality is the vast majority of Democrats oppose our policy positions. And in Mississippi, I don't think I'm stretching the truth here, the vast majority of Democrats are black. Vice versa. You have a hard time. I mean, think about Rodney Hall, Republican. I think the first black Republican elected to our state house, right? We're we're celebrating, going crazy. And we should. I met Mr. Hall last week at a breakfast. Fine man. Proud to have him. But you know what? I don't really care about him being black. I care about what his policy positions are and whether or not he's going to be a good rep. But the point I'm trying to make is we're in Mississippi, we seem to be strongly divided Republican, conservative, Democrat, liberal on race. It almost aligns perfectly. If you look at the racial composition of our state and you look at the the breakdown of uh, Republican the uh, versus Democrat, it's almost an equal alignment. Just is. It's not saying that there aren't. I'm not saying that they're not black Republicans and white Democrats. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying the majority in general. Well, so it's even more difficult to find black folks who align with our policy stances and who want to 
to fight and lobby for that or serve on our board. It's just a, just a small fraction. Look at our legislature. If you took a vote today on universal school choice, I'd be willing to bet you wouldn't get a Democrat vote. And there are what, three, four white Democrats between our House and Senate? Not many. I could just about name them. I'm not sure there are any in the in the House. So it's it's just odd to me that it's it's sort of um, from a party perspective, it's sort of devolved into one where you could be identified by race, what your party affiliation is. But with respect to the school choice issue, and I want to be clear, there are Republicans who oppose it as well. It depends on the degree. And, I, and again, I explain that school choice is a concept. And we've got lots of questions about oh, how would this work and that work. All good questions, all valid questions. It can work however the legislature deems it. They draft the legislation. And we're going to be pushing for it again in the next session, in the next term. We saw the state of Arkansas implemented it. We we interviewed one of the state senators responsible for authoring the bill in Arkansas. It's on the program in Mississippi last week at the Empower event. Did a great job. And by the way, you only heard an interview with her, Breanne Davis, Senator Breanne Davis. But she was also on the panel uh, discussion, one of the two panelists discussing school choice in Mississippi. She was outstanding, and she talked about how did you overcome Republican objection to school choice in the state of Arkansas. And, and she gave some great insight, and she could be a very valuable resource, I believe, and she's willing to do so to Mississippi's lawmakers in crafting legislation. Alabama on the cusp. So this isn't a black or white thing. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. And forget about the board composition and the workers. Why, why does that matter? It just shouldn't. shouldn't matter at all. What should matter is, is performance and policy and merit. We, we've got to get away from this seeing everything through the lens of race. I'm sick of it, honestly. It's time for a break. We're coming right back. We're in the Element Well studio. You're listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We thank you so much for joining us. They're touring, of course. Blue's not with them anymore, but um, still uh, still pretty good uh, lineup they have. I noticed they're coming to Vegas next spring. I think the Venetian 
I'm thinking about going to see them, just for the heck of it. You mean you're not going to go to Mannheim, Germany, for their show in April? No, I can't make that one. <laughs> you see it? I think, is it the Venetian? Where did you see the the schedule? Yeah, it's it's slowly loading. That was the first two that loaded, was <laughs> two in Germany. But as I'm scrolling, they got a whole bunch yeah, of sold-out shows. Big tour, sold out. Exactly. They'll be in Johnson City, Tennessee in November. Okay. In Tuscaloosa. Pretty cool. I'm, I think I'm a Vegas guy for this one, though. Oh, I don't know. This might be the one to go to if you have the means. What's that? In March of 2024 in Key West. Ooh, that'd be neat. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, we're back. We thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I was just talking this morning about this letter I received. Uh, I serve as the chairman of the board of Empower. Very proud of the work the team does at the organization, and a lot more work to do. And Empower was certainly instrumental in getting the tax cut that uh, was signed into law in Mississippi in 2022, various school choice legislation and some common sense justice reforms. A lot more to do, though. A lot more to do. But uh, received a letter, someone who went to our website and Noted that the board and the the staff did not meet their their standards, I guess, for diversity, and and just uh, no discussion or no recognition of the achievements or the efforts of the organization. It's just incredible to me that we're all wrapped up about this sort of stuff. Uh, something else I'll point out. A lot of folks may or may not know this, but when you serve on boards, nonprofit boards such as this, as a board member, you are expected to make a gift to the organization. Nonprofits, of course, such as Empower, receive no public sector funding, and they rely on private gifts to fund the organization's operations, and it's and its um, advocacy efforts all comes from private money, private donors. Well, board members are expected. By the way, and my wife points out, hey, maybe this person thinks these are some sort of highly compensated board positions. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe so. And that perhaps the decisions made on who sits on the board, who occupies those seats. Maybe that was this person thought that was based on compensating them, picking people that you want to pay. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. These are not compensated positions. Zero. You are, however, consistent with best practices in not-for-profit board seats, you're expected to make a gift, an annual gift to the organization. I don't mind telling you that it needs to be five figures in this case. That's just part of it. Now, you know, we 
potentially could be we do anything we want. It's a private organization. That's, that's the expectation. I serve on some other not-for-profit boards as well. Same not expectation, including at least one that is a, a national organization. It's just understood. You're, if you join the board, you're going to make a gift. You're going to contribute to the cause. That's fine. I get that. I know that before I ever say yes or no. Uh, but I, I'm just concerned, I guess, and a little upset that the good work of the organization goes unnoticed. What does go noticed is is uh, you know playing chess on the on the board of directors. It's Joe Biden. We talked about so many times when he appointed his cabinet. One of them, one of those, one of these. No regard for performance or quality or expertise in the area. Pete Buttigieg, Rachel Levine, Granholm, who's the Department of Energy, clueless. Remember when she was asked, having first taken the job, how many barrels of oil does the United States consume daily? Well, I don't know. <laughs> How could you not know that? You got like one job. Maybe it makes sense to put somebody in such a position that has a little bit of sense about energy, for example. Well, I can tell you that the members of our board are very proud of them and empower. They care deeply about the success of the state of Mississippi. That's why they serve. That's why they give their time. That's why they give their treasure. Nothing more, nothing less. Period. And there's never any discussion in our board meetings, and it's private board meetings, and I'm not going to disclose what we talk about, but what I can tell you is that we don't ever talk about black versus white and diversity and equity and all that stuff because I don't believe in it. You guys know that. I'm all about being colorblind, and I know that that nowadays is considered racist, right, Rhino? If you if you say, oh, I'm colorblind, I'm agnostic, I guess, with respect to race, sexual orientation. Well, no, that's not good enough. It's, that's the problem. Nothing is ever good enough for some of these people. And that, that is absolutely right. So... Um, to this person who may be listening, because they told us they did, look, I, I'm i cool with, with sending a letter, honestly. I just would invite you, I would encourage you, research the work that's been performed by this organization. Look that at, requires too much effort on their part. They just want to look at a website and get offended. Yeah, and I, I'm afraid you're right, uh, sadly. And you know something else? Do a little research on the people sit on that board. We're we're dang proud to have them, and as Mississippians, we should uh, recognize and and be proud of they and their families' historical contributions to our state. It's monumental. I promise. These are good people, and they care. That's the only reason they do this, because they care. They want to make Mississippi better. You may disagree with. How we think that's to be achieved from a policy perspective, fair enough. We uh, we encounter that, as you can imagine, 
in the legislature somewhat. Fair enough. It's our job to educate them, to inform them, to enlighten them, persuade them on why we believe these policies are in the best interest of our state. We're not backing down on that. That's our job. And uh, I'm proud of our organization's efforts in doing that. I'll get off of that subject. I know I've belabored it, but I think it's important because it, I think it says a lot. Just just that letter, honestly, says a lot about where we are as a state and as a country. We're just wrapped up and tied up in knots over this issue. You made a point earlier about the HBCUs. We were we were off the air, and I think I've shared before that the HBCUs. In general, I don't know that a single one has a DEI department, right? They're not very diverse. Yeah, if you or I picked up the pen or sat down to the computer and typed up an email or wrote the letter to, say, the president of Jackson State University and said, I was looking at your website and I noticed that, according to the census, the majority of Mississippians are are white. They're Caucasian, but... Your board of directors, your whatever, doesn't seem to match that same diversity. You would be rightfully called a racist. That's exactly right. Hey, look, I'm, just to be clear, we're just trying to, to show the hypocrisy. We're fine with it. I don't care about how the HBCUs operate and what their population, their student population looks like, what their boards look like, what their faculty administration. That's fine. That's cool. Just don't poke me in the eye all the time about how you're racist because we, we do maybe what you're doing. That's the double standard. We're coming right back. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Into this segment here on midday. Let's see here. The entire Super Top Mississippi gang is going to be live in New Albany to kick off the 2023 Tallahatchie River Festival. That's coming up Wednesday. The Tallahatchie River Festival is presented by BNA Bank. Baptist Memorial Hospital and Renaissance Bank. For more info, visit NewAlbanyMainStreet.com. This project is partially funded by a grant through Visit Mississippi. Looking forward to that. Headed up to New Albany this coming Wednesday. And then, let's see, I think we got uh, the loggers, the big exposition, coming up Friday. Isn't that right, Rhino? I think so. Yeah. And that's an all-day affair as well. Looking forward to those remotes coming up later on in the week. 
Let's see. Ben from Madison says, I would tell that person to look at what Empower has done in regard to criminal justice reform. Anyone without an agenda would recognize the positives from those policy reforms have had on our state, including African Americans who live in Mississippi. Agree, Ben. And that's the whole point, is it not? Is is that must everything be judged on this basis of you got so many of these and so many of them and that's not enough, you're a bad people. Not what you've achieved. Not performance. Like it's it it should be merit over grievance and excellence over victimhood. That's what we should aspire to. Now Kamala Harris, you know who she is, the vice president of these United States. Listen to what she said over the weekend. Supposed so-called extreme leaders are suggesting it's a bad thing to care about and pay attention to inequities. To say DEI is a bad thing. When in fact, if we want fair outcomes... We must understand what are disparities and then accommodate and adjust for those disparities if we want equal outcomes. So environmental justice raises those points, right? Equitable outcomes. Are, is everyone coming out the same way? Well, if they don't, look, if you don't start on the same base, everybody can have an equal amount. You're still not going to end up on the same base, Right? If we want equal outcomes, we need to take into account not everybody starts out on the same base, and we have to make adjustments. Uh, judging from your facial expressions, you don't seem to be in alignment with the vice president. She's full of it, <laughs> is the nicest possible way I can put it. <laughs> so uh, let's just go ahead and call it what it is. I did hear her say that we should aspire to equal outcomes. Now, that's communist. That's communism. So we have a vice president who condones and supports communism and communist ideals. And that starts with everybody's got to be the same. All got to wear the same blue pajamas. You get the same number of beans every day or whatever the hell you eat when you're a communist. You get the same housing accommodations everything's the same we're all say just make everything the same just one big indiscernible blob of humanity we can't let one person get ahead of the other just because they did something that produced more value for society no 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 can't let that determine outcomes we the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipotent, central planning, Politburo communist government, we alone shall determine the outcomes of everyone under our sphere of power. That's what we have in the vice president. We've got to accommodate disparities. Which basically means unless you are a Democrat politician, you will experience equal misery. That's exactly right. Egalitarian misery. Oh, because we have these structural disparities. 
you know, like the one that gives preferential treatment and procurement right here in the state of Mississippi because you are a minority? I agree. A person who also competes for that business that happens not to be a minority, they're at a disadvantage. They got no chance. I've personally experienced that. That is a disparity, Madam Vice President. It's time for a break here. We are in the Element Well studio, and when we come back, Dr. Jennifer Bryan, stay with us. That keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. Don't forget, it is Monday, so it's Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors coming up at noon. But joining us now in the studio, Dr. Jennifer Bryan, Mississippi State Medical Association Board of Trustees President-elect. Is that right? That's right. President-elect? Yeah, yeah. All right, good. Thanks so wanted to have you coming in uh, today to first give us an update on uh, the COVID situation we're seeing uh, some degree of an increase in hospitalizations and cases in general. Uh, still seem to be lagging in terms of the the, uh, the count of those being admitted to the hospital with COVID. Seems to be so, uh, sort of well below where we were this time last year, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. As, as we expected and, and thankfully, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, best I can tell, just from talking to folks in the, the medical profession, the cases don't seem to be as, as severe. So when you compare it to flu, you're still looking at about three times the hospitalizations. So it's still a, an issue that we need to contend with just, you know, as as people. But sure. uh, but definitely we're in a much better situation. Viruses, as they evolve, tend to generally get weaker. And, of course, with the vaccine immunity and some level of I guess herd immunity is not exactly the right word, but some, you know, previous exposures and so on, we're doing much better with with dealing with the virus. So it's a nuisance and it's still there. And some people sadly are seriously affected. But um, the main thing I think I hear from most people is they don't want to miss school or work or vacations. So they're looking at it more like the flu shot these days and really just taking um, general precautions to stay well and avoid it. But in terms of the progression, this seems to be consistent with mo- with what most scientists and virologists, et cetera, people that study this sort of stuff, this is kind of what they predicted. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we it's going to be with us. And, and just like the flu, years you may see kind of a worse year than others as mutations happen. But generally, it's going to evolve to be better and better. Yeah. All right. But, uh, you know, Historically, there's been sort of a limited assortment of uh, of drug therapies available. Right. Right. And you know something I remember early on was 
was uh, maybe a bit of a rush to to put more critical cases on ventilators. And then it seemed like we got to the point where that was not considered necessarily the best approach, even with super severe cases. uh, In fact, some of my my, uh, doctor buddies said if they get to the ventilator stage, and this was way beyond sort of the peak period, if they get to that, probably aren't going to make it out of it. Yeah, you're say. bringing back some, some emotions with some of this. That was a hard time. I mean, yeah. that really was. And uh, and you hated to, you hated that. There just was not much to do. Uh, yeah. and thankfully, this is 2023 and not 2020. But we had no innate immunity to what was, that's why it was called novel. Yeah. But but uh, it, it's, it's, we're better now. But still, you know, it'd be nice to have a, we've got Paxlovid, but it's fraught with issues. To have a Tamiflu type product is, is what we're talking about. Something to, to nip it in the bud and um and i and there's some cool stuff on the horizon all right so the good news is that uh there's a new ai generated therapy a drug that is in phase one clinical trials with the fda i believe this is a pill form yeah, uh, so, type medicine. so it's really interesting. Um, read up some about this this weekend. Again, phase one. So for those who aren't familiar with the clinical trial process, you've got phase one, then phase two, then phase three to really see that this out, this to fruition. But they're involving AI this time. And uh, you and I were talking at the break about it's been about 22 years since the human genome was sequenced. Right. And so we're able to use that. Uh, with targets um, of where we know the virus may bind, and then also the the genomics of the virus itself, where we can target actual proteins. And we we all talked about the spike protein as a target. We became familiar with that terminology, but we're really getting nuanced with AI just sitting around and generating known proteins and and what can bind what to where they found a product that uh, they believe can target all COVID variants. Right. So wouldn't that be fascinating and wonderful if if that could come through? Comes from. In Silico Medicine, this is a biotech company based in Hong Kong, also has offices in New York City, and they're the ones who made this announcement of their new drug, COVID-19. It's in phase one clinical trials. Now, explain what that means exactly, exactly, uh, Dr. Brian. What's, what is this, the sequence, phase one, uh, to, to get it onto the market? Right. So they're varying stages, and they're just a very set thing with the FDA and, and the criteria. So phase one is just the beginning where you kind of have your hypothesis, and we remember that from science days. Sure. And then you're enrolling, and you're looking for a certain type of patient. So I, I would suppose in this one it would be someone with, with COVID, right? And, um, and there's a lot of safety. You know, this is where you, um, depending on the type, and there's all different kinds of um, trials, but um, whether someone gets a placebo or not or so on, and I didn't look into the specifics of this one. But but anyway, that's where you have your broader population and you test your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And then depending on if you do well enough, you advance to the next phase. And in those situations, you get kind of a more targeted population, a targeted therapy. By the time it gets through phase three, you've really proven the safety. And so, you know, you may start out, sometimes they'll do animal studies, sometimes they'll do, you know, in vitro studies. But eventually, you're testing these on humans. You've determined the safety and that it is safe to uh, clear and then um, approve for for general use. All right. So um, is there like a time frame that uh, you would be in each of these phases? or does it just vary depending on the success in the specific phase to advance to the next phase? 
So if you're, you really want to check these things out, you can go to clinicaltrials.gov and see every single clinical trial that's out there. And there are varying timelines on all of these things, whether you're bad at combating cancer or COVID or depression or what, what you're interested in. There are different timelines for all of these things because yeah. you may be dealing with a really rare genetic disorder and it takes you 10 years to get enough people to prove that something works versus COVID where you can find somebody on every corner. So the timeline has a lot of variables. Um, and, and if it was 2020, well, everybody in the world was staring at just COVID pretty much, you know, um, things now there's the researchers are, um, looking at, at all different things. And, and that's a good pivot place to talk about. Not only are we treating COVID with this AI technology, but everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing mm-hmm. what, what can happen from this type of technology when you use AI appropriately. Yeah. Speeds up uh, just anything, any task, uh, certainly, and uh, just does those tasks much faster than humans could. Something else that uh, I've read quite a bit about that I think is going to really benefit uh, the pharmaceutical industry and just a quest for new therapies, new drugs, is quantum computing, which is just super incredibly fast to compute. So the combination of quantum computing uh, on a, on a compute side, hardware side, and software coming from artificial intelligence, it's incredibly powerful combination, and uh, the expectation is is pretty pretty high as far as the new drugs we made, new therapies, it's new amazing. treatments. Right, and also you're talking about decreased. I mean, once you get past the initial expense, you know, you can generate these therapies, and so you can see where uh, a lot of the expenses cut back to on the computer doing the research for you about what yeah. would work. And the models also are now predicting, um, all right, so you've got an idea. You think this protein may work. It'll predict probabilities of that it would work that it would pass phase one, two, three clinical trials, that it would even get approved so that you could decide if you even wanted to invest in it. I mean, Mm. a completely different side of it. Mm. So there's really so many different ways this place goes. But I think the the low-hanging fruit are... You know, the, the viruses we we see that uh, become a threat internationally. We see something like, what are we going to do? We don't want to be in the same situation we were last time. So this is a proactive way. Cancer um, that that's probably going to be the biggest place. Um, and then you can, I mean, everything, yeah. like, literally everything. But cancer, I, I look to see great strides on that front with AI and with genomics. Diabetes, probably, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've always thought. You know, if we could figure out a way, and, and this may be kind of an old style of thinking, if we could figure out a way to effectively and cost-efficiently clone a pancreas and, and transplant it to, to address the diabetes problem, yeah. which, I, last I checked, is one of every $8 of medical costs is driven by diabetes. I believe it. You know, you sound like uh, we, we used to have these conversations growing up, and I remember my dad talking about what a big deal it was when they sequenced the human genome. Yeah. And I was coming along, and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, but it totally is. I mean, it's just exploded the scene about the possibility. It's something to get excited about. Um, AI needs guardrails. I mean, I'll just no say, you know, all those things. But um, I think we've got so much sickness in Mississippi. We've got so many issues with the obesity epidemic that this is a, a really positive uh thing for all of us to look forward to. And this is pill form drug, this new AI-generated um, yeah, COVID uh, treatment. I think we're, you know, this is not anything that's going to be available to us this year or probably next or even the next, but 
in the coming years, you can see where you don't want to miss work. You've got COVID. Isolation guidelines have gotten better. You just want to take a pill and get back to your life. You can see where something like this would just be wonderful to have in your toolbox. I think there's more coming. I, I, um, I've i often shared a report before we go here about uh, some scientists that are working on some sort of sensor that you would uh, implant. And uh, the pulmonary artery, I believe it is, that could detect the so-called Widowmaker heart attack within 48 hours of it happening based on the O2 level. And it would send a signal that said, you need to go get this taken care of right now to avoid um, what usually is a deadly heart attack. I believe it. COVID boosters are available now, though, and until this amazing drug is out there, please consider getting it for yourself. And your Dr. Family. Jennifer Bryan has been our guest on Middays. Appreciate it, Doc. Thanks. Thank you. Coming right back. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. Speedwagon, that's Kevin Cronin, lead vocalist, Bruce Hall on the bass. Yeah, that's that's like one of the better songs to drive to, by the way. You gotta be careful, your foot'll get a little heavy. <laughs> it's kinda upbeat, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. We are back. We're in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you uh, joining us today. The House Republicans, they've got a stopgap spending deal to avert a government shutdown. You know, folks, this rolls around. Uh, Certainly every year in September, that's the end of the fiscal year. They need more money to keep the government going. And the Senate's already said Chucky Schumer's dead on arrival. Radical MAGA Republicans. <laughs> well, he's too busy changing the dress code. You see that? Tell him about that, will you? The dress code. They've, they've now changed the dress code very quietly in the Senate to no longer mandate that women wear smart attire or dresses and men wear a suit and tie because Uncle Fester Fetterman <laughs> can't seem to crawl out of his basketball shorts and hoodie long enough to put on a suit. Oh, so this is once again the tyranny of the minority. We got one fool out of a hundred that's driving this policy. There's no doubt. Schumer said he'll continue to wear his traditional suit. (laughs) But Fetterman, and I'm looking at a photo of him. He's got, of course, the, you know, the black vehicle and some driver. Which is what you get when you're in the U.S. Senate, and he's coming out of the back door, and there he is, and which looks dumb. He's in navy gym shorts and a black hoodie. Dude, navy and black don't go. You don't wear that. 
and gray tennis shoes, and he's at the Capitol. This is his garb. This is his attire. He's headed to the Senate chamber. I got to tell you, I'm totally against this. I'm appalled. Now, there's no doubt I'm probably maybe a little overboard on the formalities. No question about that. I just believe in in dressing. I just do. I think it says a lot about a person. Now, again, it depends on the setting. It depends on the setting. The U.S. Senate, you need to dress. You just need to dress. And there's no question that I, I believe that the public, if you're in a setting where you're likely to get seen by the public, well, the U.S. Senate's one of those. There's, there's just something about the image that projects. It just does. It means a lot to people. You know, if you show up for an interview, again, depending on the job, you just need to look appropriate. They look like you're ready to go to work. This guy doesn't look like that. He looks like, and you go into the Senate to go to work, and you're working on behalf of a bunch of people, and you're likely to get seen, captured on video, photographs. I disagree. This is Schumer capitulating to this nut. By the way, McCarthy over there in the House says he ain't changed the dress code. Glad to hear that. Not changing. Also saw that that Ted Cruz opposes the change in the dress code, but one time he got interrupted. He said he was playing basketball in the gym there, and he had to go to the floor for a vote, and he was in his gym shorts and his T-shirt. That's a little different, though. I mean, I can give him a pass on that when you got to get there. And uh, this was not – it wasn't a scheduled meeting, scheduled session, if you will. That's, that's fine. So I, I disagree with that. I, other people may be okay with it. That's fine. But I, I disagree. I just believe there's a certain decorum that ought to be observed in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House as well. By the way, our old friend Robert Reich, <laughs> what he posts doesn't fascinate me nearly as much as what the people who comment say. The upward, this is Robert, the upward redistribution of wealth over the past 40 years has shifted $50 trillion from the body, bottom 9% to the top 1%. That's $50 trillion that would have gone into the paychecks of working Americans. The greatest trick of all is trickle-down economics. Isn't he clever, Robert? Not really. <laughs> How do you redistribute money from people who don't have any to people who have it, who, who earned it, who produced it? How does that work? How how does he make such assertions when you consider that the top 1% in this country pay 42% of the taxes? The top 10% pay 90. And the top 50% pay 97.5. The bottom 50 pay 2.5. But that's redistribution? You're right. In the other direction. Totally counter to what Reich is saying here. And uh, some of the comments. 
which political party do you think is more inclined to represent the working class? That's how we should always vote. Please explain to me, what the hell is the working class? That insinuates that anyone who ever achieved any economic success didn't work. That's what they're saying. Oh, you're rich. Oh, you didn't work. I say that's horse hockey. But the Republicans keep telling us it works. B.S. It works to make the wealthy more wealthy and sucks everyone else dry. As I remember, we can thank Ronnie Reagan for starting it all. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. Here's some great news. We can just move forward. Encourage the R's to reject trickle-down economics. In parentheses, Biden already explicitly has. And vote D in November 2024. Then encourage the R's to repent. (laughs) To repent. Oh my God! How about we get all the Democrats to quit voting for dumbasses? <laughs> Seems like we'd be a lot better off if we did that over trying to make Republicans repent over reality. <laughs> and it, this just comment after comment here about this trickle down economics, which is not really an economic principle. It's just kind of a concept, but. What it really means is <laughs> to the people on the left who who oppose conservative fiscal policy is that you people need to pay more taxes and you people need to get more of the money that they pay. <laughs> That's what they mean. They don't like the idea that you may get to keep more of your money and not send it to the most ineffective, inefficient incompetent manager of money on the planet, that being the U.S. federal government. you got to send it to them so they can skim off the top and ship it out the door to the people who keep voting back in because they drop money out to them out of helicopters. It's just unbelievable how clueless people are. And this is why, in my view, folks, we have to be vigilant as we approach the 24 election. I know to a lot of people out there, I'm preaching to the choir. I get that. And we all think, how could they be so dumb? But I'm telling you, they are. And they and they vote for this crap. And they loathe us on the right side of the aisle because we believe that government should do more with less and that people have a right to keep more of what they earn. I don't care what level they are in the income strata. It's just moral. It's right. And it does more for us, honestly, than sending it to the government. How could anybody with half a brain think that it's better to just send it to the government? And why do we care anyhow as we run up a $2 trillion deficit? $2 trillion. That's the main problem I have with it is the people that are $30 trillion in debt are the ones saying, no, 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 no. You don't know how to spend your money. Give it to us. 
We'll spend it for you. I had uh, someone in my social media. We have never been a poor nation. Why are we so unwilling to pay as we go? The knee-jerk response is to blame social spending without even an asterisk to note. We owe the lion's share to our own Social Security trust fund. The accelerated ball and cup game took off with Reagan's historic tax cuts, which made not even a pretense of fiscal responsibility. Political dogma undermined of our citizen security just because the word social was involved. What is he talking about? His data's wrong. We do owe Social Security $2 trillion of the $34 trillion of debt. That's not the lion's share. Once again, they're mathematically challenged. We're coming right back. Half an hour left in the Element Well studio. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. Lots of text rolling in on the ceasefire text line. Really appreciate that. Going back to the letter that I read on air I received from someone who was checking out the Empower Mississippi board, a board which I, I chair and have since 2014, and was uh, just pointing out that uh, the board didn't appear to be as diverse as uh, this individual would like to see, nor does the team, the staff. At the, of the organization and uh, seem to really focus on that, but not the mission, the accomplishments, the vision, and the future advocacy efforts on the ceasefire text line. Maybe that letter was written by AI, Abundant Ignorance, Ron from Ocean Springs. And the few white Democrats in the House need black votes to stay in the office, says Ed in the Delta. I was just making the point that uh, the way you look at the, the the party breakdown in the state of Mississippi, for the most part, Democrats vote, uh, pardon me, black folks vote and align and are affiliated with the Democrat Party. And the same is true when you look at our legislature. There are sprinkling, smattering of white um, Democrats. I mean, in the Senate, Hob Bryan, David Blunt come to mind. There might be somebody else I'm not thinking about. I'd have to think through the House, honestly, Rhino, who would be Democrat over on the House side. But it's it's pretty much gotten to that point, let's say the last 15 or so years, where the alignment and the uh, breakdown of the members of the House and Senate by a party pretty much also are also correspond with racial makeup of those chambers. The Most of the Democrats in the House and Senate are black folks, and Republicans are white. Again, there's not, not 100% 
pretty close to it, though. And the point, the only reason I brought that up is because Democrats oppose much of the policy that Empower advocates for. They're not for lower taxes. They're not for less government. They're not for school choice. They do align somewhat on some of the criminal justice reform. That's unfortunately because most of the people that uh, end up in trouble with the law in our state, unfortunately, are black. I can tell you, I had a conversation with a state trooper over the weekend who shared that these days many, in fact, I think he said most, of whom he ends up pulling over for just various infractions, violations under the law, allowing a, a highway patrolman, a state trooper, to intervene, says they're foreigners. There's a lot of folks passing through this state, traveling through the state, that are not even American. Venezuela, various Central American countries, he said they'll they'll often hand him, when he's asked for a driver's license, they don't speak English or speak broken English, will hand him a Venezuelan driver's license. Had no idea. Crazy. Carolyn Starkville says, you have a federal government using race as a divisive tool to divide and conquer. I, I do agree with that, Carol. I do think there's a lot of that going on. Most says BET, Black Entertainment Network, has no white members in management. And, you know, and you're right, Mose, and I haven't looked at that. I, it wouldn't surprise me. And you know what, Rhino? I don't care. That's the whole point. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. But it, it doesn't seem, that doesn't seem to be the attitude on the other side of this argument where you, you get people, and honestly, it's mostly white liberals that have come down on you. And I don't know the race of this person. Don't really care. But it's white liberal Democrats that are more all about this DEI stuff than they are performance and merit. You just heard Kamala Harris. We've got to ensure equal outcomes. We've got to accommodate disparities, meaning you got to give them something. That's what they're really saying. You've got to make exceptions, concessions. You've got to overlook standards. Just throw all that out the window. Just make it all equal. That's what she means by accommodate. Disregard traditional merit-based practices. Forget about performance, contribution, value. No, it's irrelevant. doesn't matter. you got to make the numbers look right. That's what this letter essentially said. you got to change the numbers here. I'm not really interested in who the best people are to achieve the objectives. I'm more interested in just the, the makeup. And you see... Private and public sector companies run around bragging about that. We got X percent of this, 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 and this, this. Who cares? I want to know what you're doing for society. Mike from Madison says, speaking of computer systems, did you hear about the uh, MGM and Caesars in Vegas that got shut down by hackers? Yep, big ransomware attack. 
They're contemplating paying a ransom to get access back to their systems. I did. Mike, have you seen the same in Hines County? Right now, you know, Hines County still shut down. I talked to a couple of my lawyer buddies over the weekend. Of course, you can't, you know, you don't have access to county systems. You can't do legal work where all that stuff's done. Land records. Guess what, folks? If you had an election today, you couldn't have it in Hines County. Those systems are down, too. I've said this many, many times before. I know a lot of people are always concerned about voting machines. Rightfully so. Election integrity. I I get it. I understand. But by far, to me, the much greater risk is the bad guys who want to do harm to this country. They go in and hack and hold ransom, if you will, or even do even greater damage by holding ransom and encrypting, which is what ransom does, but permanently encrypting the voter rolls. No voter rolls, no elections. Forget about changing votes and hacking voting machines and all the voter irregularity and integrity issues once ballots have been cast. But what about bad guys hack these 3,100 counties in the United States? 3,130 is the number that comes to mind. Virtually all of them, everyone in the state of Mississippi, I can assure you, do not have adequate cyber defenses. And even if they have strong defenses, the fact that all that stuff's housed in their physical facilities, I promise, it's vulnerable. Big time vulnerable. Bad guys? The the major problem with MGM in this situation is they were made aware that the hacking group had infiltrated their systems and the hacking group demanded a ransom then. They demanded something like a $30 million ransom to which MGM negotiated it down to $15 million. So they paid $15 million in ransom after being infiltrated. And then the hacker group goes, you know what? We're going to shut you down anyways. Pay us more. Yeah. And what they do is uh, they perpetrate this scheme known as double extortion ransomware. And all that really means is that before they ever ask for a ransom, They've infiltrated your system, and they start transferring your data to some sites, site or sites, that they control. And if you say, look, we're not going to pay the ransom. We're just going to restore for backup. They'll say, oh, wait a second. We've already transferred all your data to systems that we control, and if you don't pay us, we're going to release all this confidential information to the world on the Internet. Think about the damage that could do to so many organizations, financial institutions, uh, hospitals, clinical, even a casino. It's got all kinds of private information in their systems. Yeah, and and if you – so this is a problem. But Hines County still down. And they've given no date, by the way, on when they're going to restore service. I had a friend's lawyer said he didn't know, so he drives to the courthouse to do some filings. And he noticed that the parking lot was empty, which is unusual. And of course, he, he gets there, and they, you know there's all kinds of information saying, yeah, our systems are down. Can't do anything. It's not just accessing online. You can't do anything, which means you can't conduct elections. All 82 counties in this, in this state, they're subject to this. Every damn one of them. Bad guys are smart. They got lots of money. They got lots of 
sophisticated tools. They literally, and this is something I've been warning about for 10 years, if they wanted to, if they see fit to, they could render us unable to conduct elections. Forget about cheating on ballots. You can't have elections because you can't get to the voter rolls. Stepping aside for a break, final segment coming up, and then Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors at 12.05. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. All right, so we're back in the Element Well studio. So I was talking earlier, Rhino, about uh, just the partisan mix by race, how that aligns with race in our House and Senate. And I was um, I could only recall of two senators who were white. There are a number of black senators, of course, some of which have been on our program. But uh, Senator Hob Bryan, Senator David Blunt, Hob Bryan from Amory, David Blunt, from uh, the Jackson area, David, the senator, has been on the program. I uh, don't think Hobbs has been on with us that I can recall. He he, he uh, has rather entertaining interviews with uh, Mr. Gallo, shall we say. Okay, so uh, someone sent me uh, information about the House. I couldn't remember who might be Democrat who were also white in the House. Tom Miles from uh, the Forest, Mississippi area, retiring, though. Remember, his, his district got changed up. Tommy Reynolds retiring, and then Bob Evans, I believe, running for sheriff in the Shoba County area. That's it. So three in the House, but looks like they're all out. Two retiring, one went to run for something else. Is that right? Bob Evans, have I got that? No, I'm th- no, my bad. Not Bob Evans. I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about uh, Michael, Ted, right? Yeah, Michael Ted Evans. My bad. So I think he's running for sheriff. So I, I boo-booed there. So two different people. So Bob Evans had a general election, I guess has a general election opponent, is what I'm being told. So sounds like, as far as the House is concerned, we may only have, depending on how things go in the general, one white Democrat. In the Senate, we got two white Democrats. So, and the only point I'm trying to make there is that, in general, race seems to align with party in Mississippi, at least. We got few black Republicans, few white Democrats, and an organization such as Empower, which advocates mostly for policy that is supported by Republicans, makes it difficult, honestly, to locate minorities who support 
the organization's mission. But I maintain all that's irrelevant. So on the ceasefire text line, how about make it equal and fair than 13% African-American population sit on boards and committees to make it represent the overall population? I enjoy the show. Thank you, Patrick. Well, Patrick, I appreciate that. I 100% totally oppose that because that's forced diversity. And I do not support the concept of forced diversity. In fact, I think it does more harm than good. And by the way, the goal should be, if you're looking for harmony in society, racial harmony, the, the, the idea of racism, the concept of racism, that's something that exists in a person's heart and in their mind. If you want a person to be, to not harbor, let's let's say, racial ideas and thoughts and and just engage in in outward racism, meaning that you, you reject someone, you deny someone, you truly do suppress someone 100% explicitly because of their race. If there are people in society like that whose minds you want to change, forcing forcing such diversity in boards, in the roles of employment, in admissions, etc., forcing it, such as with affirmative action recently struck down, that don't change hearts and minds. You're just you're making them probably more racist, honestly. When people or forced. People don't react positively to force. It's got to happen naturally. So there there certainly could be some compelling reasons why you should have diversity in certain organizational units. Okay, fine. Make that case. Show how that produces better outcomes. And of course, that gets extremely subjective. But I don't want to force that on anybody. Not private organizations, for sure. Private organizations should be able to hire who they want, create boards however they see fit, without regard to all that. That's my opinion. And I think anything that forces so-called diversity and inclusion is harmful. It's counterproductive. It's got to happen naturally. You change hearts and minds through other means than force. We're out of here today. We appreciate you joining us. We're back in the studio tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors is next. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.